Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. Com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 50. And we're one week away from my election primer i'm going to be doing next week on november 2nd i think it's the day i have it scheduled to have that out and i'll be talking about how i think you should vote or uh you know giving you some recommendations uh not based on which candidate to choose but uh well in some cases yes but um you know how i think that this election could shake out um so that's one week from today so keep that in mind i hope you hopefully you'll be looking forward to that podcast uh, but today I want to talk about another topic, and I think it fits into the 2016 election and really uh, into all of our political conversations that go on, whether it's 2016 or um, you know, 2017, whatever the case may be. And that is this idea of American exceptionalism. You hear this phrase bandied about, is America exceptional? Of course, you have a lot of people on on. Uh, conservative, quote-unquote conservative talk radio talk about American exceptionalism, and uh, Barack Obama has been quite heavily criticized because uh, people will say, well, uh, you know, he he's, uh, he's doesn't believe America is exceptional. He's, uh, America is only exceptional in, in regard to other places are exceptional. Uh, you know, the, this country thinks they're exceptional, and this country thinks they're exceptional, but there really isn't much to that. So which one is it? Is America exceptional, or is it not exceptional? Uh, has America been uh, the, or is, the greatest country in the history of Western civilization or not? Uh, and so I want to talk about that because I think that this uh, really does matter in how we think about the United States, not just as American citizens, uh, but in the long view of history, how, how this particular idea uh, has uh grown and developed uh, over time, and of course has become very much a part of our political discourse. If you believe America is exceptional, then that exceptionalism needs to be preserved. And in some cases, of course, if you believe America is, an exception, is, is exceptional, is an exceptional place, then you might want to bring that exceptionalism to other people. You might want them to be like us, in other words. So that does lend to American imperialism. So is America exceptional? Uh, I would actually say yes, America is exceptional as a component of something else. And that is as an extension of the British Empire, America has an exceptional political culture uh, and an exceptional uh, entrepreneurial environment that is not necessarily being cultivated like it used to, 
but it it long had this environment where people could have a tremendous amount of social mobility, social and economic mobility. Now, I still think that's the case. Uh, it's it's regulated heavily now, but uh, Americans have tremendous social and economic mobility if they want to do it. Uh, now, we could say that could get better. Of course, other countries, you look at rankings and economic freedom and other things, America lags behind some other countries now in that particular, uh, in that particular category. Uh, but when it comes to political culture, uh, I, I really firmly believe that America, as an extension of the old British Empire, was exceptional. So let me talk about that, that idea of political culture and British exceptionalism, which then led to American exceptionalism. So the British were unique uh, in, their, in their history, and that 1215 really represented a turning point in uh, British, or at that time, English, political culture. And of course, I'm talking about the Magna Carta and how the Magna Carta defined the rule of law in England, that no one was above the law, not even the king, and that it created this type of um, climate where civil liberties would be respected. Now, you could say, well, of course, the, uh, that's an important development. Uh, you know, the, the, the Greeks and the Romans, though, believed in the exact same thing. Well, this is, this is fundamentally true. Uh, you know, the, the English history is an extension of Western civilization. And so because of that, you know, the blessings of Western civilization have been uh, there for many different peoples across Europe and across the globe as Western civilization expanded. But the English, more than any other country, developed a, or any other people, I should say, developed a political culture that respected civil liberties in a way that very few other civilizations were able to do. And again, this idea that no one was above the law, not even the king. Now, of course, there would be fits and starts in that. You know, the king would not always respect that tradition. And then in the 1600s, you had the English Civil War, which resulted in the death of Charles I, the battle between the parliamentarians and the cavaliers resulted in the king being executed, and then the protectorate, which was a pretty brutal period in English history when Oliver Cromwell was running things. And then, of course, you had the Restoration, where you had Charles II come back into power. But from that point forward, from the 1600s forward, um, England had a political culture that respected individual rights, particularly when you got to 1688, in the English Bill of Rights, which if you look at that particular document, if you've never done it before, look at that document and, and then compare it with the Declaration of Independence. They're very similar. Um, now, the Declaration is not a founding document of the United States. It's a defounding document. The only part of the Declaration that's important is actually the last paragraph, where Jefferson explains that um, the states are free and independent states. There are 13 of them these states united or these United States. Uh, and there, I mean, the, the second paragraph where Jefferson explains that, uh, you know, people have a right and a duty to throw off government that's um, 
not protecting life, liberty, and property, which he says is the pursuit of happiness. So you, you have different elements to this. But um, I think it's important to recognize that American history would not be the same without a British political culture or an English political culture. So as we look at American exceptionalism, and of course the British also uh, had a very fine economic climate, uh, whether it was uh, for the merchant class or even the landowning class, they had a fine climate that people could prosper in. Now, it didn't mean that you know, certain people weren't prospering or that there was, you know, there was, there were, there was conflict there at times. Of course there was. But uh, individuals who had a certain amount of entrepreneurial spirit could move up. There was social and economic mobility. And so that political culture helped create an economic and social culture, and it also helped create a culture that respected individual rights. Now, you did have people like Jeremy Bentham ultimately saying that rights don't come from, there's no natural rights, these, these rights come from government, and governments can, can destroy your rights if they want to. Um, so, you know, you don't really have any rights unless government says you, they respect those rights. And in some ways, I mean, he's, he's right about that. You know, you can say you have the right to life all day long, but government can take your life. And so this is where, you know, libertarians battle with this particular issue, uh, should you have the death penalty, for example, because if life is a natural right, then government should not be willing or not be able or willing to take that particular right away from you. Um, there was a very interesting argument about this from a man named Albert Taylor Bledsoe, uh, who wrote a book entitled Liberty and Slavery. Now, Bledsoe was um, a southern partisan in the antebellum period, and he was uh, he did defend slavery. Um, and his book on on this particular topic is is rather interesting because he still believes that you can have liberty even if you are incarcerated, for example, or even if uh, the state or an individual has taken your freedom of movement away. You still have liberty, uh, and it's a very intricate argument. It's um, something that it's you have to really wrap your head around. Uh, but he's basically getting this idea that you know, even if the state takes away your freedom of movement by incarcerating you, you still have liberty. That doesn't go away. Uh, there still is a natural right there. So <clears throat> it's it's interesting how you know this how we could we could de- debate this topic, but uh, it still doesn't take away the fact that the the English more than anyone else created this climate where individual rights would be respected. Now, we could talk about the Greeks, who, if you were an Athenian citizen, of course, you had a tremendous amount of individual liberty. Uh, You had a tremendous amount of power in that participatory system in Athens. But uh, the political culture in Greece was highly corrupt at times. And, of course, when you look at things like ostracism, which, uh, you know, if you, if you did not agree with the ruling faction, you could be booted out of Athens for 10 years. Now, the English never did anything like that. Uh, they embraced dissent and, and uh, 
tolerated dissent at in much higher levels than the Greeks ever did. The Greek city-states, uh, while they were free in many ways, there was not much room for dissent. And the same thing is true in Rome. Uh, as you know, Rome became much more politically corrupt, dissent was crushed. And I talked about this in the last uh, podcast, you know, we are Rome. But dissent was crushed quite violently in Rome. So Greece, uh, you can even look at the death of Socrates as the Greek people taking care of dissent. Socrates could choose exile or death, and so he killed himself. So the British um, tolerated dissent in ways that no other political culture really ever has. And that allows us to do things like this podcast. Of course, you know, we are dissenting from the modern political class, and that is tolerated. Uh, not always happily tolerated, but it's tolerated. And we, in turn, tolerate the other side. We tolerate the ruling class that we don't necessarily agree with, but we tolerate it. So that, that respect for dissent is something that makes the English quite exceptional. And, of course, the Americans will pick up on that and run with it as well. Uh, and then that respect for individual initiative and entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial spirit, that does create a climate that um, has high levels of economic and social mobility. So America is exceptional. Now, is our, is our political system exceptional? Uh, could we say that uh, we, had, we have problems with that? Well, I think the American political system was exceptional if it had been followed the way the founding generation designed it. Uh, under the Constitution, which was, or at least you look at the Articles of Confederation and then how the Constitution was going to create a more perfect union, the same union under the Articles. And that federal republic would have been exceptional had people followed it, and that would have allowed for individual political communities to have a tremendous amount of control over their everyday lives, politically, socially, economically. Uh, you would have had a center, and this was based on the British idea of the empire, which is the center handled commerce and defense, and the constituent units uh, handled everything else, very much independently of the center. And that's how the colonies viewed themselves, and they lead up to the American War for Independence, not just here in, in British North America, but also in places like Jamaica and Ireland. Uh, so that decentralized notion of government is also important uh, when you look at a modern political system. Now, we don't follow that. It could be very exceptional. And so you could say, well, maybe the Swiss have a better political system than we have. The Swiss cantons is, is, uh, allows for more economic freedom, more social freedom, more political freedom. So maybe in that way, you know, Switzerland's better. But America was designed in a way to allow that. It's just that we've allowed uh, centralization to creep in. And, of course, it has taken away, it has usurped much of that uh, political and economic freedom that we had, that decentralized nature of government, which when you have that, when you, when you take that away, it does create a climate that's not quite as exceptional. So political culture matters. In an American political culture, we tolerate dissent. Now, I think that we're moving away from that. Quite, it's quite frightening, in fact. Uh, that uh, so many people are talking about censoring what people say and what they do and uh, how we should be able to conduct our, 
our political affairs. And, uh, of course, we're definitely moving away from any type of economic freedom uh, when everything is so regulated or when uh, government promotes economies so heavily. We're, we're definitely moving away from that. And that's been an ongoing process. So is America, an excep- is America exceptional today? Um, in some ways, the political culture is still there, but I think we are moving away from this. So I think when some people say, well, look, we're losing American exceptionalism, they, they are correct in that. Uh, I don't know what would take the place of the United States. I can say that the political culture of America, you know, it's as long as we still have American institutions and uh, it will still exist um, in what form, it's hard to say, but it will still exist. Now, this idea of political culture becomes important because I mentioned imperialism and how if you do believe America is an exceptional place, there are people that want to spread that exceptionalism all over the world. And so this is a distortion of American exceptionalism. You know, it used to be we believed America was exceptional. We wanted to keep that to ourselves. Uh, we didn't want to go out and, and, make, and force everyone to be like us. That's the puritanical vision of American exceptionalism, the, the city on a hill uh, vision where everyone has to be like us because we're better. But for most of American history, that was not the case. Now, the, when I say most of American history, I think that that's slowly fading. Eventually, we're going to get to a point where American imperialism has been the dominant trend, not the other. But still to this day, the other, the, the resistance to American imperialism has been the exception um, I'm sorry, has been the rule rather than the exception. That could change within the next, say, 50 years or so if we continue on the same path we're on. And so, uh, you know, foreign policy is so important. But what happens here with imperialism is we're trying to spread our political culture to people who perhaps don't have the same political culture and never will be able to embrace or, uh, you know, utilize this form of exceptionalism. So if you look at places like, uh, for example, uh, Russia, the Russian political culture is not British political culture. Russian political culture does have, and it has developed over hundreds of years, a belief in a strong central authority. If you go back and look at Russian history, if you start with the Romanov dynasty and Ivan the Terrible, uh, that political culture, that strongman culture, has been part of its history for, say, 500 years or longer. And so this is why someone like Putin is so powerful and popular in Russia. He's, he's a strongman. Uh, and whether you're talking about a communist-dominated government or a, a government that's, um, that embraces more free market uh, e- economy or whatever the case may be, they believe in a strongman. So... Western political uh, uh, culture, or I should say more accurately, British political culture, just doesn't fit in Russia. You know, you can look at Russian history over time and development of the Duma uh, and how that was a very difficult process for the Russian people to develop a representative government in any way. Uh, Still to this day, the Duma doesn't have as much authority as, say, Putin does. So uh, even though they have a representative government, and they've had it for for quite a long time, it's never had the same role as their strong central leader, their strong figure. 
So it would be a mistake to say that we need to make sure Russia has a parliamentary system like the United, like the British, or a a representative government like the United States. Those things are unique to British political culture. And of course, again, the Americans as a byproduct of political uh, of British political culture. Uh, what about places like China? China again, if you look at Chinese history and uh, the establishment of China itself was a strongman type culture. And still to this day, China has a strongman type culture. It's a, it's a command communist uh, system. And um, it still believes in a strong central leader and a strong central government. So China would probably never be able to adopt an English or British or American political culture. It just wouldn't work there because the Chinese people have come to uh, want or at least accept this type of strong central authority. Their political culture warrants that. Americans, British citizens, bristle at that. And I think there are Americans and British citizens who would take it. But that political culture of China determines what China is going to be like. And if you take this one step further and you look at American involvement in the Middle East, for example... Uh, I think that, you know, for all of his faults, John Kerry was actually right when we talked about Iraq and what we should do with Iraq after the United States left. And he actually advocated a decentralized political system in Iraq where different factions would control different parts of the region. But what's also important to note in the Middle East is they have a strongman culture, a strongman political culture. This is why when you start giving, you start putting democratic institutions in the Middle East, it's very difficult to do because uh, many of the people there have developed a political culture over time that's a strongman political culture. And it's hard to break away from that. You have a, a singular leader. Now, I think there have been times, for example, Iran uh, or uh, did have a parliamentary system that was working until the United States overthrew it in the 1950s. Uh, and it wasn't based on a strongman political culture, but the prime minister of Iran, Mousadeh, uh, was considered to be you know, a very important and powerful political figure. So um, when you look at this idea of exceptionalism, it's, you have to be very careful and very cautious, uh, cautious about that and how you bring it to other places. Obama's not necessarily incorrect when he says, well, other peoples have thought they were exceptional. Well, that's true. I mean, the Athenians thought they were the most, the most glorious city-state in the world. They believed they were exceptional. The Romans thought they were exceptional. The Spanish and the English have thought they were exceptional. But I would say that out of all of these places, English, then British, then American exceptionalism has been something really special because of the political and social and economic culture of those particular people. You could take these people and put them anywhere, and you could have that type of exceptionalism. It doesn't matter where they are. It's the political culture that created that. And this is something we have to be cautious with about you know, immigration and other things. As people come into the United States, if you look at uh, you know, Latin American political culture, it's strongman culture. Uh, heavily influenced by Marxism all throughout Latin America. 
And so you do have, of course, people coming into the United States that want something else, you know, want something different, but their political culture has been forged over years to believe in strong central authority, to believe uh, in a political system that is alien to the United States, ultimately. And so they are going to vote as they become citizens, or maybe in some cases as they're not citizens, as we're already seeing, they're going to vote, and they're going to vote for a political culture that they recognize. And so those of us who don't believe in that political culture are going to be facing some real demographic problems in the future. And I think that's where you know immigration presents a real challenge. Unlimited immigration presents a real challenge for British political culture, and by default then American political culture, because we are going to be outnumbered at some point. So it's not just immigration from Latin America. You have immigrants coming in from all over the world where the political culture there is a little different, whether it's African countries, Asian countries, Latin American countries. When we start talking about political culture, this stuff matters. And it used to be, well, okay, you come in the United States, you have to accept our political culture. And many peoples did, ultimately, accept American political culture. Uh, whether they were coming from Eastern Europe uh, Western Europe, other parts of the world, they accepted American political culture. This is not the case necessarily anymore. So that's an important uh, part of American exceptionalism. We have to get people, if they want to be here, to accept American political culture. And if they won't, then we're in real trouble. And I think that's where uh, you know, modern immigration movements, the people don't necessarily want to accept American political culture. They simply want to live like they always have lived, and their political culture would necessitate strong central authority, a strong man who's just going to go out and do things for the 50 plus 1%. And the other side, who cares? Kill them. I mean, this is this is um, long been uh, part of, unfortunately, uh, the political culture of, of South and Central America the corruption, the violence. And we don't we don't really need that here. We don't want that here. Our political culture needs to be different. It always has been different. Again, it's a tolerant political culture. But when you have people come in that don't necessarily believe in that type of tolerance, that can create problems. Or if you have people within who don't just come in but they start stop believing in in political tolerance, which is microaggressions, safe spaces, uh, you know, political correctness, that is intolerant, and I gave did a podcast on liberal intolerance way back. can't remember what number it was, but way back I did that. So this is where you have to really safeguard American exceptionalism. It is that political culture that's so important. That has to be protected moving forward if America is going to continue to be exceptional as part of this tradition beginning with the Magna Charta, the English Bill of Rights, then, of course, our own Declaration of Independence and the Articles of Confederation, the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, uh, all of our state constitutions which have Bill of Rights that respect that political culture. That's the important thing. So when people ask you, is America, exception, is America exceptional? Say, absolutely. Our political culture is exceptional. Our social and economic culture had long been exceptional. Not maybe as much anymore, but it had been. Our, our tolerance for dissent, our tolerance for religious differences— our tolerance for these things made us exceptional. If we lose that 
tolerance for dissent, then we cease being exceptional. And the one thing we have to understand is that every political culture is not the same. We don't have a one-size-fits-all policy in the United States. There are different types of this American exceptionalism, even here among people who are not just recently uh, new immigrants to the United States, even among the people who have been born here over generations. There, is, there are different political cultures even in that that we should recognize. And that's where decentralization and real federalism and think locally, act locally come into play. So, again, tell people we are exceptional, but why? And how we hang on to that is important. It's tolerance of dissent. It's tolerance of this political culture that has long fostered and favored that. And it's tolerance of decentralization. Think locally, act locally. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.